my name's Sean. It's really great to be here with you guys tonight uh, in Bethlehem. Such a great thing. I, should, I meant to Instagram it and saying I'm preaching in Bethlehem. Um, for those of you who don't know me, which is probably a bunch of you, I hail from a little north of here um, in a relatively large city that everybody loves. Um, I have a wife and two kids. I am a musician and I'm a poet. And for the last kind of five, seven years, I have traveled around playing songs and really, my um, sort of my MO has been to help people to meet God in a real way in places they wouldn't expect it. So a lot of the places that I've played have been in living rooms or bars or cafes or festivals um, where no one's quite expecting um, some kind of folk hipster dude from Hobbiton to jump up and talk about Jesus. Um, because I'm really passionate about uh, people knowing that God is real and that and knowing that He is kind. Yes, water. Thanks, man. Um, but I wanted to start with the best photo you're going to see this year um, of me and my wife. If we can put that up. That's me, circa a really long time ago, the '90s. These haircuts are actually coming back in, which is amazing. I said to Katie recently, I was like, I'm going to. Get back to the McDonald's arches, what we called them back then. You put just a little bit of gel in the center and it kind of creates a little M. Um, no one gets that joke because they're not from the 90s. But this is me and my wife, Katie, when we were 13 years old, uh, 12 years old. We were dance partners together. We did Borum Latin American dancing. Has anyone heard of that before? Yeah, yeah. So we danced together. That's how we got to know each other. Um, and, you know, we were pretty good. Just putting it out there. But I actually first heard of Katie about a year before that. I had just started school at Intermediate, and someone random came up to me and said, Hey, Strawn, do you know Katie Martin? And I said, No, I don't know who that is. And they said, Well, she wants to go out with you. Do you want to go out with her? <laughs> and uh, I believe my exact words were, No, I don't. In fact, even if she was the last person on earth, I wouldn't go out with her. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, let it be a lesson to you not to say never to God. But the reason I said that was because I didn't know her. I honestly had no idea who she was. I'd never seen her before. It wasn't personal. I just, I just didn't realize that she was so super awesome. And then about a year later, she managed to swindle for us to become dance partners. And we ended up dancing together and winning that trophy cup, which was probably for best um, awesomest couple who will be the best dancers forever. Great story. Um, but what I learned through my experience with Katie is that proximity is everything. It's one thing to know about somebody or to hear of someone, but actually to be in relationship with them requires some level of knowingness between the two of you. And Katie and I have been married for 10 years now, so we actually started going out then. Um, and then we broke up and we got back together and broke up. Then we got back together at high school and broke up. Then back at university and broke up. And then I was like, this is getting exhausting. Will you marry me? <laughs> um, and now we celebrated 10 years in January. But I, I would never have known prior to meeting her that she was the one that I was going to marry. What I want to suggest tonight, what I want to talk to you about is that worship, worshiping, worshiping God is all about proximity. It's actually very simple. Everything that we do in a life of worship flows out of us living in a place of knowingness with God, a knowledge, a closeness, and an intimacy. Um, but before I really kick into it, I just want to pray. Is that right? Can we pray again? Can't have too much prayer here. 
Father, I pray tonight for everyone in this room, for people who feel and believe that God is far from them, that you are far from them. For people tonight who came feeling like this was just another opportunity to see their friends who are struggling to believe that you want to be with them, that you want to speak to them, would you wrap your arms around them right now? Would you show them your love? Would you give them courage to believe again that you're real, that you're close, and that you want to know and be known by all of us here? We love you, Jesus. Amen. Um, the Hebrews have this law. It's called the law of first mentions. And the law of first mentions goes like this. The first time anything comes up in the scripture and the story of God, the first time anything is mentioned becomes the prototype for how you would understand that in every other context in scripture. So it's, it's kind of a hint as to the true meaning of something and the way that God intends it. So I feel like if we're going to talk about worship and intimacy, and I'm going to like stake my claim that I believe worship comes from a place of intimacy, then we have to go back to the first place that we met God to discover what actually happened and, and the way that we first opened our eyes to see Him. And uh, we find the story in Genesis, the creation story. In Genesis 2.7, it says this, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. It's quite a poetic scripture, quite a beautiful story. Um, imagine this. There has been nothing. And God, before anything was made, speaks, and just the universe starts doing crazy stuff. Beauty, just neurons and protons and vacuums and rocks and <laughs> shouldn't not try and be a scientist um, stuff in outer space is happening and then God creates the earth and he separates things and it's all huge it's this grand scale of life the cosmos and then he creates all of these things on earth and he separates sky and sea and water and then he takes uh, a little piece of a clump of land he's kind of created all of these things and he looks down at the dirt and he makes a statue. He's kind of like a kid with Play-Doh or something. Uh, he just fashions a little body out of this funny red stuff on the ground. And it looks like a, a human being. And it's just this lifeless, empty thing. It's just a thing. Maybe just the same as any other rock. The same as anything else we might see in this room. It's lying there. And then God decides that he wants to be in relationship with this atom, this earth, this person shaped in his image and he he reaches down out of the cosmos he comes down to us and i kind of imagine him lying across our bodies you know his toes against our toes his chest against our chest his face against our face because it says that he breathed into our nostrils and we became a living being we became a living thing and so I have this image that we're lying there on the ground. And the very first thing we see when we open our eyes is God's face pressed up against our face, honging us. And his breath becomes our breath. 
and hongi, when you are hongied, it, I don't know, if, you, if, you've, if, you've a guy, if you're a guy and you've ever hongied a guy, you'll know how uncomfortable it can be hongying someone that you've literally just met seconds before because there really isn't many things as intimate as a hongi, right? That's what's so powerful about the hongi to me is that Hongi says, I'm inviting you right in close. I was Hongied by somebody recently um, down in Wellington, and he Hongied me for probably like three minutes. And it was at the front, and, he's, and I went to be like, hey man, can you pray for me? And he just goes, and he's huge, like six foot four, man, and this big Māori guy, and I was like, whoop, like on my tippy toes. And he's Hongied me for three minutes. Everyone's kind of watching, going, this is intense, you know, and he's just like hunched over me. It's an intimate moment. And in the hongi, the breath, the ha, comes out from one and intermingles with the other. And in that moment, uh, one is taken from being a manuhiri, being a visitor, into becoming tangata whenua, a person welcome into the land, one of, one of those uh, who can be considered family. And I imagine in this moment, because breath is so intimate, breath is one of the few things that we draw out from the very depth of ourself, Right? Without breath, we die. Breath is our life force. But to breathe and to intermingle breath is such a deeply intimate thing. And here, the very first time we're mentioned in discussion with God and communion with God, we are literally awaking to His face against our face, receiving a hongi, moving from manuhiri or visitors or just some inanimate object that could have just been anything that God wanted to play with to a person of his land, of his kingdom, of his whanau, of his place. Isn't that beautiful? I spoke to a friend of mine um, when I first started uh, exploring this idea of the hongi, and he's um, a cultural advers- adversary. It's not adversary. Advisor. <laughs> he's a cultural ad- adversary. He's a cultural advisor in uh, Te Papa. And I said to him, this thing about hongi, this is kind of what I'm, I've really, this is how it's spoken to me. And he said to me, man, Hongi predates Māori, um, goes way, way back. And I thought that was a fascinating thing for him to say. This uh, Māori man, I mean, he can, he can kind of account his ancestors way back to things that I didn't even know existed. Um, God's relationship with us is a face-to-face relationship. So we move forward a few thousand years. What about the cross, right? What about Jesus coming and, uh, and speaking to us through the cross. What was the point of the cross? Because I'm willing to bet, I did a silent retreat um, for our community a month ago. So I, I've been, I work for a church uh, called Central Vineyard and part of my role there is curating prayer spaces and helping to um, spiritually form people. So what kind of practices can we do to actually get to know God a little bit more and grow in this thing with God? And I'd been running these prayer meetings for ages and not very many people were coming. And I was like, this is really disheartening. And someone was like, why don't we run a silent retreat? And I was like, sure, silent retreat. No one's going to come to a silent retreat, right? Now, like, no one's to pray. And there was just, you know, people had to pay like 60, 70 bucks or something because we, we went to like a Franciscan um, monastery and it just packed out, man. It sold, it sold out in a day, sold out prayer meeting. Uh, I was like, man, I can't get people to come to prayer meetings for free. And these guys are just got to sell prayer a little bit more. Often I'm on Facebook. Sorry about that. Um, and one of the things that one of the things I remember the most about it was a conversation I had with someone. So there's all these beautiful things that came out of it. Sitting with silence for a day with God. I don't know if you've ever done it, but it's the most scary, confronting thing I think anybody can do. Uh, you're not allowed to talk to anyone else. 
You can journal a little bit, maybe do a bit of reading, but the point is that you spend time with God. And most people find that when they get silent, that it stirs up all of the stuff that you don't deal with in, in life, right? Because you're used to being on your phone and flicking through Twitter, then Instagram, then Facebook, then emails, then back to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, then emails, um, which no one here would do. Um, and someone came up to me afterwards and they were telling me about their experience and they said, Strawn, you know the thing that surprised me the most about today? I said, what's that? She said, I expected God, when I took a moment aside to speak to him, to confront me about all of the wrong things in my life. There's some stuff that I know that I'm just not quite hitting the mark on and I'm ashamed of it. And I expected that the moment I got silent, God would come at me with that stuff. But he didn't. God came at me with kindness and gentleness, and he never even mentioned it. He just wanted to spend time with me, and it was the most healing thing I've ever experienced. How beautiful is that? But what I found in my experience is that most of us, myself included, when we come to God, are expecting something different than what we get. Most of us expect not that God wants face-to-face -face intimacy with us, but that God wants a face-to-face -face conflict with us. He wants to sort us out, right? He wants to get the junk in order. He wants to like fix us. Anyone feeling me? Yeah, everyone's nodding just for Facebook Live. Everyone's nodding and saying hallelujah. Um, so what about the cross? When we come to Jesus at the cross, this is the pinnacle of humanity. So if we're going to find out really what the nature of God is, we have to go to the cross. And here Jesus comes... He lives his life and he dies on the cross. And this is what Colossians 1.20 says about Jesus' intentions on the cross. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by his blood, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood. Now that's a pretty fully loaded statement. But what it's saying this is this. The primary purpose of Jesus in coming and incarnating in the world and dying on the cross was not to make you sin conscious as your first port of call with God. It was to reconcile you. It was to reconcile you, to make peace with you, not to come against you, but he came for you. Now, it sounds like semantics, right? To say, well, the primary intention of Jesus coming wasn't to cleanse your, skin, your sin or your skin, <laughs> wasn't to cleanse your sin. The primary purpose of Jesus was to reconcile you. But here's the difference it makes, is that if you believe that Jesus first and foremost came for your sin, then you'll believe every time you come to God, the first and foremost thing on his mind is your sin. When actually the very purpose he came was to reconcile you to him in peace. Sin was the thing he dealt with to achieve his greatest purpose. Sin is, has to be dealt with. We can't minimize sin. It makes us sick. It makes us hurt one another. Sin is the reason that we have systems of oppression in the world that cause the poor to suffer and traffic human beings. Sin had to be dealt with, but it had to be dealt with not as an end in itself, but so that you and I could be in harmony with God. 
So to truly worship Jesus isn't just to declare the facts about what he's done. It's not even just to say, God, forgive me. And we can actually live our entire lives stuck in a holding pattern of thinking that the whole point of this game, this church game, this country club that we all go to for some reason on a Sunday, is to just make sure we're good enough. But it's not. I've been walking with Jesus for well over 10 years. Well over. I don't want to say how long because then you'll start calculating my age. when I'm very young. I feel more of a mess than I ever have in my whole life. If there's anything that I've noticed about God, it's the closer I get to His love and perfection, the more I realize that I am not anywhere near as loving and perfect as He is. Worshiping God is not about satisfying His wrath. It's not about placating Him. It's not about trying to earn His favor by being right. It's not about allowing our sin to be stuck between us for the rest of our lives. Worshiping God is about honging our Father in heaven who sent His Son to remove the barrier between us and Him that should never have been there in the first place. That's good news, right? Man, I wish I knew that 15 years ago. And this is a beautiful thing. Um, the cross was meant to, for intimacy and Jesus dies. He rises from the grave and in John 20, verse 22, this really strange thing happens. Jesus is with his disciples and it says, he took a deep breath and he breathed into them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I can't help but see something of a reflection in this moment for them of Genesis 2, of Jesus saying what was lost all of those centuries ago that we have been clambering for for so long. Now what I've just done is restored it. And I imagine Jesus walking around the room with each one of his disciples. It's very hard to breathe on someone from far away. I don't know if you've tried that, unless you've got bad breath. Then it feels like someone's 100 feet away and they can still smell your bad breath. I can, I can picture Jesus walking from disciple to disciple, honging them, reliving the moment that we were all first born in Adam, Adam, when we all first moved from clay to living being and saying, it's done. This is what it was for. So we hong you, God. Worship is about being reconciled to God and walking with Him. But there's a second element to this. And in all of these different aspects of worship we look through, this is often the one that is top of our list. Well, second maybe. I think in the modern age we consider worship to be either a genre of music or a specific time in the gathering, right? And then if it's not that, it's like, well, it's what I do with the rest of my life. And I agree with both of those things. Of course that's worship. But both of those things can only have to come out of a place of intimacy first. So if we're honging God, then what about the next thing? And in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says this. Because of this decision, and it's talking about what Jesus has done, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at Jesus that way once, and we got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. We look inside and what we see is that anyone united with Jesus gets a fresh start. They are created new. 
The old life is gone and a new burgeons. Look at it. All of this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and Him and then called us to settle relationship with us and others. God put the world square with Himself through Jesus, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what He is doing. We are Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. Isn't that beautiful? One of the most powerful spiritual experiences I ever had was being hongied by the same man I was just telling you about who hongied me recently. It was about five years ago. And at the time, we'd just done a conference and we were talking about indigeneity and how to restore Maori Pākehā relationships in Aotearoa. Back then, it was just like, what does this even mean? You know, we've come so far in the church in five years. And I was confused. I was like, man, I'm from the North Shore. Like, I'm a shore boy. <laughs> means nothing to you. Um, nobody likes shore boys. <laughs> they hassle us about our lack of culture. And one day I was at church and, um, and this guy just said, you need to come hongie me. And he hongied me and he said, I'm inviting you into this conversation about indigeneity in New Zealand. It changed my life. I started having dreams and visions where I would hear Maori words and I'd have to look them up to see what they meant. Sometimes I would speak in tongues and it would be Maori tongues. And people around me would be like, do you, do you know what you were just talking about? Like, that's Maori, right? I know that you were just saying such and such. And I would say, that's crazy. Because as I said that, I saw this picture. It was exactly the same thing. I didn't know that was Māori. He changed everything for me. The thing about a hongi is that once you're hongied, you are invited in. You're part of the whanau. You're able to then hongi others. And what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians is that we have been hongied by God. We have been restored to intimacy. We are able to worship the right way now. Not through what we do. Not through how we sing. But we're able to worship God because He's restored us and invited us to the table. Now, because of that, we have been tasked with hongying one another. By living in intimacy with one another, face to face, breath to breath. When you hongy someone, that's not just about forgiveness, it's about reconciliation. Because forgiveness and reconciliation aren't always the same thing. Sometimes it's easy to forgive someone, hard to reconcile. Hongi means not just turning up to church on Sunday, but actually asking the person beside you, how are you? Can I pray for you? Hongying means when you're depressed and you're low and you're suffering from anxiety and you, you're feeling like your life, you want your life to evaporate. Hongi means reaching out and asking someone else for the breath to fill you in your darkest moment and to not be ashamed. Hongying the world means reaching into someone's life. When it, are you getting the picture? Hongi is close, man. Hongi is very close and it is so countercultural for many of us that we cannot receive the Hongi of God and not turn around and Hongi the world. And just in case you're thinking this is just about the people in this room, think about who you were before God Hongied you. I think about how I, who I was. I was sitting down three nights a week, four nights a week, drinking a huge amount of Jim Beam and just really hurting people in my life. I made a wreck of it. I ran from God. I didn't want to know him. didn't believe in him. And it was in that moment God came to me and said, Strong, I want you to come home. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took communion, which is the most sacred thing 
to us and he had it with his murderer. He broke bread. The very man who caused a chain of events that led to his dark torture. Jesus even ate with his worst enemy. So, if we are to worship God by being in intimacy with him, it is impossible for us to worship God without being in intimacy with one another, intimacy with the world, and wait for it, intimacy with our enemies. Because even the scriptures say, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. And why did he die for us? To reconcile us, making peace. Oh man, this just got real, hey? <laughs> you guys aren't nodding. I mean, they're nodding. So what is worship? All worship is lived out of a place of intimacy and adoration. I can tell you, it literally almost doesn't matter what you do. If you are living in intimacy with God, it will just have the aroma of worship. You'll be putting your shoes. Thank you, Jesus, for these shoes. <laughs> You'll be going to bed and I thank you, God, for my day. When you, you take time to spend time with God, when you journal or you sit in silence or you pray or you're in community or you do communion or you break bread or you serve the poor, all of these things help us to grow in intimacy with God. But when we make it about Him first, not about sin, not about groveling, dealing with our sin, absolutely, asking for transformation, absolutely, but not making that as if it's His priority. When we invite reconciliation and healing and closeness with God, everything you do will be worship because you'll be doing it within Him and you will naturally reconcile everyone, even your enemies, even those who you don't think belong at the table of God, even those who disgust you or make you think that they're not redeemable in any sense, the most evil, the most horrific, even them you'll be able to hongi because you're living a life of worship. Adoration, intimacy comes through experience. I'm sorry to say, it's very hard to worship an idea. You have to experience God. If you want to experience God, you have to take time. Find out how to experience Him. Hongi moves us from worshipping the idea of God to worshipping God Himself. So my question to you tonight is this. Will you Allow God to hongi you. Will you allow closeness and friendship with God to be more important to you than your junk? Because it's more important to God than your junk. And if your answer to that is yes, then will you hongi one another? Will you hongi the world? And will you hongi your enemies? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to just take a moment to pray. And uh, I think we might just sit in silence for a minute and ask God to um, speak to you personally. He's here. And just say, God, do I let you hongi me? What's a way in my life that I could let you do that? What's a way in my life I can up, open up to you? Or pray, God, who am I not hongiing? that you're asking me to hongi? Who do I need to go out of this room tonight and reconcile with and call up and say, hey, I haven't been great lately. I've been detached. Can we hang out? Can we get a coffee? Can I just explain myself? 
Or hey, you hurt me. Who do we need to leave this place in Hongi tonight? So let's just take a minute just to let God speak. Just as the um, worship team comes up, I just want to pray. Father, we're so thankful that you hongied us, that we can look back to the first moment we met and it was face to face. Thank you for sending Jesus to us to restore that closeness. Thank you, Jesus, that you forgive our sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you have made us right, brought us peace, reconciled us. Holy Spirit, we ask tonight that you would rise up in us the spirit of intimacy, the spirit of closeness, the spirit of adoration, the spirit of worship. That we would be worshippers first through intimacy with you, worshippers through intimacy with others. We're so thankful for you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.